Good morning, everybody. Thank you. I appreciate that. Appreciate you joining us today, whether you're at one of our campuses or you're just connecting with us online. I am glad you're here, wherever here happens to be for you today. And believe it or not, we've made it. We are in the sixth and final week of Foundations. This journey we've been taking together as a church to develop a deeper faith. A faith that not only brings meaning and purpose and peace into our daily lives, but a faith that is strong enough to withstand even the most devastating storms of life. Most of you probably know that my family and I's journey through grief and the loss of our son is the catalyst behind this series. But what I want you to understand is that this series is not about me. It's not about us. It's not about our storm. It is about the reality of storms in all of our lives. Because developing a deeper faith is not about preventing storms from coming into our life. It's about preparing us to weather the storms that are inevitable for all of us. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. He was talking to us as his followers. The the basis of this series actually comes out of an illustration that Jesus gave at the end of his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus told the story of two men who built houses on very different footings. Jesus said one man built his house on the sand, probably because it was quicker and easier and cheaper than building on the rock. But Jesus said another man took the time, made the effort, dug down to the rock, and then poured his foundation of his house on that rock. And then Jesus said a storm came and hit both of the houses. Jesus said that the wind and the waves and the floods beat against both houses. The difference was the house that was built on the sand crashed with a mighty fall. But the house built on the rock, though beaten and battered by the storm, when the sun came up the next morning, that house, Jesus said, was still standing. And over this last month and a half, What we have discovered is that building on the rock means digging down to the rock. That developing a deeper faith is not a one-time event. It is a lifelong process of putting the teachings of Jesus into practice in our lives. Not just hearing and knowing about Jesus' words, but actually doing them in our daily lives. In fact, that's what Jesus says. Right after he tells the story, Luke 6, then Jesus says, when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it, that is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. A firm foundation of faith is not a decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life and then one and done. It is a daily decision to pick up your shovel and to start digging. 
to make spending time with God and time in His Word a daily part of your life, to make focusing on Jesus a part of your daily life, to be willing to be vulnerable and connect with other believers in authentic community, to serve out of your giftedness and your shape within and outside the church. you got to wash some feet if you want a stronger faith. So each week, We've looked at different ways, practical ways, to put the teachings of Jesus in practice in our lives. And so today, we're going to wrap this whole thing up by looking at what I think is one of the most important lessons that Jesus ever taught, and that is to live our lives outwardly focused. To focus on the people around us, the needs of others, rather than focusing just on ourselves. You see this consistently throughout Jesus' teachings. In fact, one of Jesus' most famous quotes are these words from Matthew 25, 40, when Jesus said to his followers, I tell you the truth, anything you did for even the least of my people here, you also did for me. Jesus said when you care about and meet the needs of others, it's just like you're caring for me. Jesus' most famous parable is the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is a story about reaching out and caring for others. The entire story is about not being caught up in the busyness of your own life. Don't just keep walking down the road, ignoring the hurting people around you, but stop and do whatever you can to do something about it. Jesus talked about this outward focus, reaching out mentality throughout his public ministry. And I believe the reason that Jesus talked so much about this is because he knew this would be the hardest ground for us to dig in. Because it doesn't come natural. Self-centeredness, self-focus is what comes natural, right? I mean, you don't have to teach a toddler to be selfish, do you? They kind of do it on their own. You have to work hard to teach them to be unselfish. It's a part of our nature, but it's also a part of our culture. You realize we live in a world that tells us over and over and over, it is about you. Take care of yourself. Look out for number one. If you don't do it, nobody else is going to do it for you. Almost all marketing, all advertising focuses on this natural tendency to focus inward. And yet Jesus said, you want a strong foundation of faith? You've got to focus outwardly. But the cool thing about Jesus is he didn't just teach this sermon. He didn't just tell these stories. He lived it out in his daily life. And this morning, I want to look at a very brief encounter that Jesus had with a crippled woman in a synagogue one Sabbath day. And in this brief encounter, Jesus gives us step-by-step instructions of how to reach out and care about the hurting people around us. This encounter takes place in Luke's Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book of the New Testament, Luke chapter 13. If you've got a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and turn or click there. If you don't, It's okay. All of the key verses are printed on your outline so we can all follow along. You know, Jesus traveled a lot from city to city to town to town to village to village. 
One day, Jesus was in a village, visiting a village, and it happened to be the Sabbath. It happened to be church day, and because Jesus was a traveling rabbi, he was invited to be the guest speaker at the town synagogue that morning. And so Jesus is teaching. I'm pretty sure there was a good crowd. And in the middle of his sermon, Jesus just stops because he notices a crippled woman who's been bent over, the Bible said, crippled by an evil spirit in her life. Jesus just stops his message, calls her forward, lays his hands on her, heals her. She immediately is able to stand up straight, and everybody's going like, wow, that's so cool. But the leader of the synagogue says, wait a minute, not so cool. And he starts fussing at the congregation about doing healing, asking for healing on the Sabbath. He's like, you got six days a week to work. Six days a week you could come here for healing. Why would you do it on the Sabbath? The Sabbath is a special day set aside for rest. You're not to do work. This stuff ain't supposed to happen on the Sabbath. And Jesus looks at the leader of the synagogue and it's like, dude, are you freaking kidding me? I mean, Jesus didn't say it that way. But Jesus is like, what are you talking about? You hypocrite. You'll break the Sabbath rules to untie your donkey or your ox to get a drink of water. But you don't want this precious daughter of Abraham to be freed from the bondage she's been in for the last 18 years. You hypocrite. The people loved it. (laughs) But Luke tells us that the leader of the synagogue was humiliated. It's a fascinating story, a really cool story, but there's some deep truths. Four things we learn about caring for others from this example. Write them down now. You ready? Number one, if you want to care for others, you got to look around. You got to look around. You can't care about people unless you become aware of people and what's going on in their lives. Caring for others often requires you to see what many people miss. It's exactly what Jesus did. Look at verses 10 and 11. It says, One Sabbath day, Jesus was teaching in a synagogue. And he what? What does that say? He saw a woman. He's up here preaching and teaching, and he sees a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. I mean, imagine how hard it was for Jesus to see her. First, she's one of many. She's in a big crowd. I mean, Luke doesn't say specifically that the synagogue was packed on that Sabbath, but I think it's a safe bet to say that it was because if Jesus is giving the sermon that morning, I'm pretty sure nobody stayed in their pajamas and streamed it online. I'm pretty sure it wasn't like today, like a, a time change Sunday. It was like an Easter Sunday. It was like Christmas Eve. I'm sure the place was packed, and this woman was just one of many. And not only that, she was bent over double, making her even hard to see in the crowd because she wasn't sitting on the front row because it said Jesus had to call her forward. She was in the back or in the middle, and she was bent over double. And on top of that, Jesus is in the middle of doing something pretty important. He's preaching a sermon. I don't know if you've ever preached a sermon in front of a crowd of people, but you're pretty oblivious to the crowd of people because you're focused on what you're doing. I love you guys, but just let me tell you right now, you're a blur to me. 
right? And it's not just because of the lights and all that stuff. It's because, you know, my mind's on to the next thing. And what am I going to say? And don't say anything stupid, Phil. You know, so my mind's turning. And yet Jesus, in the middle of something pretty important, a priority in his ministry to proclaim the good news, in the middle of that, he notices her. You know, some, somebody asked me one time, I said, Philip, does it bother you when you're preaching when people get up and go in to go to the bathroom? And I'm like, what? People get up and go to the bathroom? I don't notice it. Does it bother you when babies cry? Babies cry in church? I don't know it. And yet, with all of that going on, Jesus notices her. See, my point is this. Hurting people are often easy to overlook. When we're caught up in the things that seem so important to us, but they're also hard to see because hurting people often build walls that they love to hide behind. They often build up barriers. Like sometimes hurting people build up a wall of anger and bitterness because hurt people hurt people. And many of the hurt people you pass in your office, in your neighborhood, at Walmart, at school, they are hard to be around. They're like porcupines and you just don't want to touch them. And so it's just easier to give them a wide berth. It's easy to ignore because who wants to fight with a porcupine? But a lot of hurting people hide behind the walls of pretentiousness. They paint on a smile. They look good on the outside. And you ask them, are you okay? And they swear they're okay. But deep down, deep down, they're hurting. And you have to care enough to see beyond the facade. Every day, every day we pass by people who are bit double by pain in this life and we have to slow down long enough to notice and care enough to push through the barriers to see the hurting people around us now now let's have a little real talk some of us myself included what keeps me from seeing hurting people is not the speed of my life it's not the barriers they put up it is the condition of my heart There's a beautiful picture in Matthew chapter 9 of Jesus looking over the crowds of people in Jerusalem. And the Bible says he saw the crowds and it broke his heart. He had compassion on them because they were helpless and hurting like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw the crowd and he felt compassion. You know what happens when I see the crowd? Most of the time I just feel inconvenienced. Because the crowd is inconvenient. When I see a crowd, I think, well, I'm not going to get a good parking space. If I see a crowd, I'm like, oh, the checkout line at Walmart's going to be way too long. But you have to look past, and you've got to have the right heart. You, you want to care for others? You want to live reaching out, outwardly focused? Look around and see what is easy to miss. Number two, the second thing we learn from Jesus, not only do I have to look around, but i got to take a risk. I have to take a risk if I want to care for people. It's not just seeing them and noticing them and acknowledging them. i got to be willing to do something about it. And let me tell you something. Reaching out to broken and hurting people is risky business. Not only do I have to get out of the busyness of my routine, but I'm going to have to get out of my comfort zone. Notice verses 12 and 13. 
It says, when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. And then he touched her and instantly she could stand up straight. Oh, imagine this scene. Imagine if this morning in the middle of my message I just, ma'am, yes ma'am, yeah, yeah, yes ma'am, you, could, could you come up here? You imagine? And she got up and came, how risky that was for her. But imagine how risky it was for Jesus because when she came forward, he touched her. He put his hands on her. You remember she was crippled by an evil spirit. She would have been considered unclean, an untouchable. Jesus didn't have to touch her to heal her, right? Jesus could heal with just a word. In fact, Jesus healed one servant girl and never got within a mile of the house where she was. He just said she's healed, and immediately she was healed. Jesus took the risk to touch this unclean person, this person that the rest of the synagogue would have never placed their hands on. I don't know why Jesus healed her in that way, but I'm so glad that he did. Because it gives us an example of how we can help hurting people around us. I'm pretty sure that none of you can go around and heal crippled people by just touching them. If you can, would you come down after the service? I'd like to, I got this thing in my back. It would be really helpful if you, yeah, most of us can't, I'm not, I'm not minimizing the gift of healing. I believe everything in the Bible. I'm just saying most of us can't do that. But there are two things Jesus did for her that every one of us can do for the hurting people in our life. One are the words we use towards them. Did you catch that? That Jesus called her dear woman. You know where else Jesus used that phrase? When he was hanging on the cross and he spoke to his own mother. He used that same phrase, this tender phrase. In fact, a little later, he would refer to her publicly to the rest of the synagogue as a daughter of Abraham, the highest compliment you could give a Jewish woman. He spoke value through the words he used towards her. Please understand, this is not some sweet little old lady who was crippled by no fault of her own. This was a woman who somehow had made decisions and choices in her life that had allowed Satan to come in and put her in bondage. She was partly, maybe totally, responsible for the brokenness in our life. But Jesus didn't say, hey, witch woman, get up here. He didn't say addict. He didn't say mentally ill person. He didn't say you bum. He said, you child of God, you are precious. He spoke value in spite of that. If we're going to help hurting people, we have to stop labeling them with words and names that tear them down. Speak value over them. And then not only that, Jesus touched her. He lovingly, appropriately placed his hands on her. And I wonder, how long had it been since anybody touched her that way. Imagine that. Imagine how that made her feel. When I was in elementary school, 
a very contagious illness broke out in our school. It was all across the school. The problem with this disease is you could not outwardly tell who had it and who didn't. The only way you could tell somebody had this disease if somebody else told you that person had this disease. Generally, all of the boys thought all of the girls had this disease. And all of the girls thought all of the boys had this disease. Some of you are laughing. You know this disease. It was in your school, right? What was it? The cooties, right? Funny kid story, but not funny to the people we pass every day who feel untouchable, unlovable who've been separated from God by religion and brokenness and condemnation and judgment. Look, I want to encourage all of Look, if you really want to dig a deep foundation of faith, look around, notice the hurting people, and then when you do, don't be stingy with your words and don't be stingy with your caring touch. Take the risk. And when you do, number three, expect some criticism. You start reaching out to help hurting people, especially hurting people who are part of the problem in their own life, you're going to be criticized. Because you're getting out of the box. And when you get out of the box, it makes people nervous. And nervous people become critical people. And that's exactly what happened. Look at verse 14. It says, but the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. Why? Because it was outside of policy. He was mad because it broke the rules. But Jesus always put people ahead of policies and relationships ahead of Rules And when you reach out to show love to broken people, especially those who have made choices that led to that brokenness, it will make other people uncomfortable, especially religious, churchy people. Why? Because they think caring means condoning. That if I care about hurting people, I am somehow condoning the decisions and choices and behaviors that they've made. I know all about this because for 25 years, Cedar Creek Church has lived with that criticism. We've heard over and over and over, still to this day, from churchy people in our community, Cedar Creek Church, they'll let anybody go to church there. Thank you, Jesus, that they let anybody come to church here because, Jesus, you've never met a person that God doesn't love. You've never met a person that Jesus didn't die for. And because of that, we have to push past that criticism. Listen, please hear me, hear me, hear me. I'm not saying that we need to enable destructive behavior. I'm not saying that we should ignore and not speak truth to people we care about. I'm not saying we shouldn't have heart-to-heart, -heart, hard conversations when people we care about are making decisions that destroy their lives. Yes, 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 we should do that. But don't you dare let the cause of their brokenness keep you from caring about them. You have to expect and push through the criticism. You know, I've been thinking all week about 
this leader of the synagogue. You know what's really interesting to me? Is that he fusses at the congregation for coming for healing on the Sabbath when they didn't ask. He didn't fuss at Jesus. Jesus the one told this woman to come forward. She wasn't back there in the back going, heal me, heal me, heal me. He was fussing at the congregation when he really should have been fussing at Jesus. And it makes me wonder if maybe the reason he responded that way is because this revealed his own failure as a leader. After all, these are his people. This is his flock. This is his church. He is the leader. And I wonder if it was under his watch that this woman started making decisions that led to this spirit breaking up her life. I I don't know. I just know sometimes people are critical because it reminds them of what they haven't done. I, I guess my point is whatever the source, whatever the reason, don't ever let criticism stop you from reaching out and helping the hurting people around you. And then finally, number four, the last thing you got to do, seize the moment. You got to seize the moment. I mean, how easy would it have been for Jesus to see her and while he's preaching go, maybe I'll try to catch her after the service. You know, it might embarrass her. I'll lose my train of thought. These people, there's a lot of people. You know, my priority is preaching the gospel, getting the message to as many people as I can. You know, or maybe I'll be back in this village some other time. Maybe there's some other time. Jesus had plenty of reasons not to help her in that moment, but he didn't let those reasons keep him from helping her in that moment. Look at verse 16. Jesus, talking to the leader of the synagogue, says, This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath. You understand what Jesus was saying? Jesus was not willing for this woman to wait one more minute for freedom, let alone one more day. And he sees the opportunity. You ever see people in need and think, I ought to do something. I ought to stop. I ought to have a conversation. Somebody comes to your mind, you think, I ought to call. Maybe I ought to check on them. Maybe I should stop by and visit you ever had those things and then you don't respond? Several years ago, we did a series here at Cedar Creek called The 15 Revolution. It was one of our Be the Church series where we emphasize on not just coming to church, but being out in the community and being the church. And, and this particular series was about taking 15 minutes out of every day to be willing to be inconvenienced to help and add value to another person's life. We kicked this series off on a Sunday. I gave everybody the plan and said, every day, look for an opportunity. Monday morning, I came into the office, and I had this email waiting in my inbox. She said, "Uh, Pastor Philip, I'm only an occasional visitor to Cedar Creek, and I happened to be there this morning when the Revolution 15 was kicked off. I left the church and went a different way home. In a parking lot near the gas station, I saw out of the corner of my eye a lady holding a sign that said, need food and gas to get home. But I had a runny nose, and so I was busy, concerned about that, and I drove on right by, but instantly I felt conviction to go back and at least fill up their gas tank. I fought it for a mile or so, and and then I finally said, you know what, i got to go back and be obedient. 
Well, I turned around and went back. No more than three minutes had passed. But the car and the lady was gone. I should know by now that if we hesitate when we know God has set up a situation for us, we can lose that opportunity. You know, listen, like you, I struggle when I see people on the side of the road with signs or on the street corners. I struggle with knowing if, you know, what I'm doing is helping or if it's actually enabling. That's why I never give money to an individual, uh, but I'll have a conversation. Sometimes maybe I'll take them to a restaurant or buy some food for them. But, but I, you know, you always struggle with that. Now, I can't really tell you when God is moving you to act and, and when he's not. I don't want to try to do that. I would just say in those situations of helping strangers like that, don't go into it without a lot of prayer and a lot of wisdom. But, but here's the reality, folks. For most of us, our problem is not the missed opportunities with strangers. It's the missed opportunities with people that we know. It's the missed opportunities in our homes in our neighborhoods. It's the missed opportunities in our school and in our businesses. You got to seize the moment. If you really want to develop a deeper foundation of faith, if you really want to build your life on the rock, then you got to turn more of your iotas into ideas. You know, over the next five weeks, we have an opportunity to seize the moment for hurting people in our community. Because you know what five weeks from today is? It's Easter Sunday. It's hard to believe. It'll be here before we know it. And did you know that unchurched folks, people who don't go to church, are more open to an invitation to church on Easter Sunday than any other time throughout the year? 80% of unchurched non-believers said they would attend a church if somebody they knew invited them. That's why when you came in this morning, you got this little card. And I want to encourage you, take it with you today and pray and say, God, help me see who I need to see. Help me take the risk, push past the criticism, and seize the moment to not just say, hey, our church is having Easter, come join us, but to say, I would love for you to come to Easter with me. I'll pick you up, I'll meet you there, let's do lunch afterwards. Let me tell you something. As many of these as you will take and use, we will print them. We will have them available week after week because we can seize the moment. And do you know why this is so important? Do you know why we want you to invite broken, hurting, lost people to church on Easter? Because the same Jesus who healed this broken, crippled woman is healing hearts and lives every day. It's the same Jesus. This ain't about packing it out and going, oh, ain't we a great church? Look how many people we had for Easter. No, this is about hurting people, finding hope. And he is the only hope of the world. And he has called us, I don't know why, but he has called us as his followers to be on mission, to carry a message of hope. But you got to look, you got to see, you got to act. You got to risk. You got to care. You got to quit worrying about criticism and seize the moment. That's building a foundation of faith that can weather the storm. So let me close with this last verse 
on your outline. Because I believe this is not just the heart of what we're talking about this morning. This is the heart of this entire six-week series. 1 John 3, 18. Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Would you pray with me? Maybe you're here this morning, one of our campuses, and you feel more like the crippled woman. You've made decisions and choices in your life, and they have broken you. And you're here this morning, and you're wondering, does anybody see me? I'm going to tell you, Jesus sees you. He brought you here by divine appointment to touch you and heal you in ways you could never imagine. Please don't leave here today without reaching out. He's calling you. There are campus pastors and prayer encouragers at every campus of Cedar Creek Church. Don't leave without reaching out to have a conversation. Those of you that are joining us online, just there's somebody there watching that chat box. Reach out. Let us connect you to him. Because he's still healing people who have crippled themselves with bad choices. Or, or maybe you're here this morning and God brought you here to remind you of somebody in your world. Somebody that you've been ignoring. Somebody that's been just too hard to deal with and too messy to get into all of their stuff. Let me tell you, caring about people is always messy because we're all messy. We're all messy. God brought you here today to speak this truth, to encourage you to live beyond yourself, to reach out, to care for the least of these. Father, we need your strength to do any of this. We stand before you and sit before you today confessing our pride and begging you to fill us with your strength, to give us your eyes, give us your courage to not be afraid to reach out and touch hurting people around us. Father, move among your people. Move in our hearts to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers, so that the foundation of our faith is built on you, our rock. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.